Greetings, Swamp Dweller. My name is Patrick. First off, I'd like to say that I love your show. I started listening and watching just a few weeks ago, while I was at work. I absolutely fell in love, and I thought I should share a story that has plagued my mind for years about the time I saw something unnatural, vicious, and thirsty for blood. Personally, I think it was a demon, but I'll let you and the viewers or listeners, whatever you want to call them, decide. I'd like to apologize for the length of this story as there is a lot of detail that follows what happened. Everything in this story is true. I wish it wasn't, but unfortunately, I must live with it for the rest of my life. This story takes place when I was 17 years old as a junior in high school in Salina, Utah. I only had two friends in high school because everyone I went to school with thought I was a freak because I have been able to see and communicate with spirits since I was a child. It's a small town and everybody hears everything. My two friends Logan and Ryan and I were very avid paranormal investigators. We loved going all over our community and our county in general to investigate abandoned houses that were potentially haunted and cemeteries rumored to be. Me being able to see and communicate with the dearly departed made the experience even more interesting. We decided to do something a little bit different this time though. We heard rumors that there was a dark figure that roams a wooded park in the mountains of our area. We like to call the mountain Cryptid Mountain, for reasons I'll get into for another story. When we heard about this place, the three of us got excited and waited for the weekend so we could go investigate and see what was going on. Fast forward to the day of the event. Saturday came and the three of us could not wait for nightfall to come. So, to pass the time, Ryan stole a pack of cigarettes from his father. His father smoked three packs a day and kept cartons of cigarettes in his room. We got in Logan's truck and headed to the park ahead of time to smoke them. You know, kid stuff. We sat in his truck and smoked almost half a pack at about five hours. As soon as the sun started to set, Logan started to get a strange feeling. He bent over, holding his stomach. Guys, I have a really bad feeling about tonight, Logan stated. Are you okay, man? I asked as a concerned friend, patting his back. He's fine, just being a pussy, Ryan replied before Logan could speak. Ryan was always a hothead and could be a complete and total jerk at times. Logan flipped him off and told him he was a dick, which I giggled at. After about 10 minutes, I asked Logan if he was ready to go and if he still wanted to do this. He replied with, let's do it, brother. His attitude surprised me. Just two minutes ago, he was holding his stomach in pain. Now, he's hyped up. I was so confused, but his hype got me excited. We got out of Logan's truck and made our way to the destination. As we walked closer to the playground, we noticed that there was a man looking at us from a window of the supply shed. The three of us looked at each other in confusion, wondering why he was there. We later learned he was the groundskeeper, but more on that later. He looked scared, and it seemed like he was trying to tell us something while he mouthed something and pointed nervously. At first, we thought he was pointing at us, but we soon realized that he was pointing at the playground behind us moments later. Why doesn't he just open the door and tell us? I thought. So I decided I would go and see what he was trying to say. I made my way towards the window and shouted, We can't hear you! What are you trying to say? He made his way to the door and cracked it open and whispered, don't go into the playground. Something big and mean is over there. If you're smart, you'll just get out of here. Chills ran down my spine when he said this. 
he closed the door and backed away from the window into the dark of his shed, not breaking eye contact with the playground. I ran back to my friends and explained to them what the man had said to me. Logan got that feeling again, but Ryan expressed that the groundskeeper was probably just some sort of drug addict or something, and was probably just a big pussy like Logan and I. I told Ryan to shut up jokingly, and we made our way to the playground. Ignoring the warning from the frightened man, as soon as I set foot on the round pebble floor of the playground, I instantly felt, I don't know, angry. I wanted to hurt someone. I wanted to hurt my friends. I, I wanted to kill them. I shook my head to focus on the task at hand and made my way to the tube to slide, forgetting that feeling. I made my way to the slide and investigated the bottom of the slide and saw nothing. But I could feel that there was something in this area. I looked back at my friends. Logan was combing the area for any evidence, and Ryan was on top of the playset. I stood back up and took one step from the slide. Then, something tripped me. It felt like someone had physically grabbed me by the ankle and pulled me to the ground. When I hit the ground, I let out a loud, What the hell? Logan ran over to me in a panic. Patrick, are you... He froze in mid-sentence as he looked up at the slide. I looked up at him and asked, What's wrong? He just pointed to the slide, jaw dropped and eyes filled with fear. I turned around and saw what he saw. It was a big, shadowed figure staring back at us. It let out a slow, snarled growl. I noticed its hands receding back into the shadows on the slide and saw that it was, like, wet and pitch black. These long claws were like fingernails almost. I freaked out and kicked away from the slide trying to get to my feet. At last, when I got to my feet with Logan's help, I turned to Ryan and shouted for him to get off the playset. Ryan looked at the two of us and saw the fear in our faces. Then he saw something crawling up the slide. He didn't stay to find out what it was. Instead, he jumped from the highest point of the playset to the pebbled floor below. When he landed, Logan and I heard a loud crack from Ryan's foot. Later, we found out that he broke his ankle in two places when he hit the ground. Logan and I picked him up and ran back to the truck. The anger, feeling, I felt earlier was back as soon as I set Ryan in the truck. I grabbed Logan's baseball bat from the bed of the truck and made my way back to the playground. I know now that this was a stupid decision. Logan and Ryan yelled and cried for me to come back, but I didn't listen. I got back to the slide and searched for whatever it was that scared the living daylight out of us. It wasn't in the slide anymore, nor was it even on the playground. I searched for what felt like an hour but was only a few short seconds. I looked over at the groundskeeper's shed and saw the door was open. I made my way over in a fury thinking I was going to mess this thing up. When I got to the shed, the rage inside me left. My body was replaced with confusion yet again. The groundskeeper was gone as if he was never there in the first place. I looked inside but didn't see anything out of the ordinary. I looked back at my friends in the truck to see them waiting in suspense. I felt as if something was breathing on my neck and froze in place like Logan did earlier. In fear, I slowly turned around to see something that will forever be etched into my mind. When I turned around, a shadowed face with piercing yellow bloodshot eyes stared back at me, snarling at me with this decayed and jagged looking smile, drooling some nasty yellow liquid. I was in a state of paralysis. I couldn't move at all. Then. This thing let out a roar so ferocious it brought me back to my senses. I dropped the bat and ran back to the truck as fast as my feet could take me.
When I got to the truck, I hurried and jumped in and told Logan to get the hell out of there. After I got my breath back and Logan began to drive, I looked at both him and Ryan, and their faces were pale. I asked them what was wrong. This is what Ryan told me. Dude, when you were running back to the truck, something tall, thin, and black was running behind you, reaching out for you. I was speechless. To this day, I wonder what would have happened if it had caught me. Out of all the craziness and fear, we had Logan take Ryan to the ER. After the hospital visit and Ryan's extremely angry dad, we all went home. The next morning, Logan called me and asked if I went back to the park. I said no, why? Confused. Because this morning I was getting ready for my early morning run, and when I opened my front door, my bat was sitting on my porch with scratch marks all over it. My heart dropped. I remember dropping his bat at the park by the shed. I never went back to get it. What Logan said next still haunts me. It had this yellow stuff dripping from it. Later, we found out that the groundskeeper we thought we saw that night died of a massive heart attack in that same shed ten years prior to our investigation. I know this because we did some digging and we found an article and an obituary. Two years later, I learned the shed was torn down by the city for safety reasons, and they will not disclose why to the public, though. I'd love to read some comments as to what you guys think this was. Thank you for reading my story, Swamp Dweller. When I have the time, I'll share some more tales from Cryptid Mountain. For some people, this may seem far-fetched, but I can assure you this is real. So basically, I have been a sufferer of sleep paralysis for 10 years. I am 28 years old currently. I can sometimes get it up to 10 times in one night, to the point that I don't sleep at all, and believe me, it is exhausting. So I went to a friend who is a healer, and we have done a range of past life regressions and full moon rituals. I now also have begun to practice Wicca, which is not what people think. Nothing at all witchy. It's spiritual and protecting. Since I have found myself and become open to being an empath, I have been seeing voids every night before bed. Then recently, they have shown up in other places. It's like a strange black shifting, like smoke, that I can feel is a void or like a dimension if that makes any sense. Sometimes it feels bad as though something is trying to get through but cannot due to the protecting crystals, sage, spells, and other powerful objects I have around me in my bedroom. I have begun to hear very loud ringing and voices in my head when I sleep, to which it wakes me up because I feel like things are trying to get to me. So, one night of course, I can astral project, so I decided to see if I could find my spirit guides and ask what is happening, when instead, I come face to face with what I can only describe as a sleep paralysis demon. The one who has taunted me for years, making me feel like he was licking my neck and entering me when he felt like. It basically felt like being assaulted by the vilest thing you could ever imagine. His skin is a shade of green, his hair all bushy and black, and his face I can't explain at all if I am honest, due to mental blocks. He began to laugh as though he had finally had the opportunity to take over my body. Through research, sleep paralysis isn't real, so I started to think, well, how can I feel and see this thing? And if it weren't real, 
Why? Why couldn't I move? So all of this is flowing through my head. I manage to repeat my sage spell, which helps to cleanse your room and house. Air, fire, water, earth. Cleanse, dismiss, dispel. Over and over. Then, I kid you not, the fear I felt was unreal. If you don't believe what I'm saying, I do not care. But out from the darkest corner, my spirit wolf Nuka leaped out and dragged this hideous thing behind me, tearing his arms from his shoulder and socket, taking it away, out of my sight. Nuka is bright white with yellow eyes. He's been my spirit wolf for the last few years since I went to a past life and found him. He helped me let go of a few things, especially things that were hurting my soul. He then came back, looked at me, and nodded, and was gone. I found my body again through the darkness. This was over a month ago, and I have not seen that vile, paralysis demon again. For anyone that suffers, I would always advise you to contact your spiritual guides and sage your bedroom every night. The protection is unreal, and has helped me more than anything else has. I hope you enjoyed my story, even though I know it was more unconventional than most. I think there is a demon or a ghost following my family. I'll start with saying that I'll have to send this in a couple of parts, so it isn't too long. And I apologize, this has been something that's followed me my entire life, but I'll share the most impactful or strange moments. I haven't told many people this, but since it's anonymous, well, you know, why not? I don't know where to start. This began before I was born with both my mother and my father. When my mom was young, she said there was only one time she felt true evil. She was young and living with her parents at the time. She awoke randomly and saw this tall, slender, black humanoid thing standing at the end of her bed. It wasn't sleep paralysis because she went under her covers and screamed for her parents. She didn't tell me much more about it or anything. She didn't really tell me about her other experiences before she passed away either. My dad is very reluctant on sharing his sightings because he has always been told that it was nothing. I've been slowly getting more and more out of him over the years though. Getting on with my personal encounters though. First odd thing that's happened to me was when we moved into our third house. When you walked into the front door, there was the living room down the hall and on the right and the dining room and kitchen to the left. You go to the living room and there's one hallway with three bedrooms and the bathroom. My parents on the left and the rest on the right, and one at the very end. Anyway, both my siblings that lived with me were sleeping in the living room in the sleeping bags because of the move, and my mom and stepdad were sleeping in their room. When my older sister and I woke up, we ran to the back room which was the one we were arguing about to see who gets it because it's the biggest one. When we opened the door to the closet, on the inside to the left of the door, there was a crudely drawn face and sharpie that looked like a half-dog, half-human thing. My sister immediately yelled at me for trying to scare her out of getting that room because that wasn't there the day prior and no one else went in the room. I know for a fact that I didn't draw it and when I finally convinced her of that, she said we shouldn't take it off because it might anger whatever did it. She is a strong believer in ghosts. I wish I still had the picture, but I lost the phone as this was over 13 years ago. Another time, in the same house, my sister and her best friend were exploring the attic which was off limits and no one ever went up there because they thought it was very creepy 
Not even my parents. Well, they discovered some boxes and ran off to tell my stepdad when he got home. He went up there and immediately ran down and called the landlord to take them out of the house right now. He didn't even want to touch the boxes that were up there and refused to tell us what they were. Now when I ask him, he pretends like that never happened, which is infuriating because I'm very curious. Anyway, if you're interested in more stories with this demon or ghost that followed my family, I have a couple of other things that has happened that I cannot explain and might be paranormal. Hello Swamp Dweller, I'm a long time listener and this is my first time sharing a story. I love your channel as it helps me de-stress and distract me from my anxieties. I'm 36 years old and this happened around the age of 5 or 6 in Wallingford, Connecticut. We live in a large three-story brick and wooden house constructed sometime in the 1800s, adjacent to a thick set of woods which was the perimeter of our backyard. We used to play in these woods often as kids, riding BMX bikes, playing paintball, just normal kid stuff. As far as critters go, we didn't have anything too serious to worry about, other than the occasional black bear, but normally just deer, fox, woodchucks, and your standard woodland creatures inhabited our property. I was very familiar with the wildlife we shared space with, even at that age. My bedroom happened to be the only one facing the backyard towards the woods, and my bed was parallel to a sliding glass window with no screen. One night, I had sat up wide awake to the sound of the window next to my bed being smashed from the outside in. Shards of glass spewed all over the desk under the window, and the floor next to my bed as if a stuntman was just jumping through the window or some sort of SWAT team breaching a door. The next thing I saw will forever be burned in my memory. Now, bear with me. This is going to sound, well, different. But I will describe this as thoroughly as I can. A small, brown and scaly claw-like hand grabs the side of the window and leans a face that I will never forget. The first thing I notice are two bulbous, yellow glowing eyes with pupils locking onto mine, like laser-guided systems. The intense and bulging eye sat upon a sickly thin face, which I can only describe as a goblin. Its wrinkled skin was a grotesque fecal brown ridden with black porous-like holes. An exaggerated pointed chin hung under a grimace of gnarly, rotten yellow teeth, mangled, looking like a mako shark. This thing bared its teeth with an evil smile, its huge, pointed nose wrinkled in gigantic, flappy ears cringed back so its head looked like an agitated dog. Very slightly, this ugly little, whatever you want to call it, lowered his head while maintaining eye contact revealing a set of recurved black horns, looking like that of an impala. It was roughly two to three feet tall, as I saw the entire outline of its being squatting on my windowsill. This goblin thing and I locked eyes. I saw it advance towards me about one millimeter, and then the memory completely cuts off there. The next thing I know, I am being reprimanded by my parents for breaking my window as there was glass all over my desk and floor. They did not believe me about the goblin. I don't really blame them, I guess, as I was a very young child at the time, but I do know what I saw. I was wide awake and this was not a dream. I've investigated this as much as I possibly could and found some possibilities as to what it could have been. 
There are two cryptids that have similar appearances. The Duende and something called Brownies. Problem is, Duendes are normally in South America, and Brownies are in Europe. I was in Connecticut. Duendes are a little smaller than what I saw, and Brownies are said to wear clothes, as this goblin thing was naked. I do plan on getting hypnotic regression to revisit this memory, as well as my out-of-body experience and maybe something else. But this one hit me the hardest. Was it a goblin, or could it have been some sort of demon or something? Aside from the goblin-like features, the darn thing looked like the devil. It's a lot to get into, but I suspect that this might be the case, and I might have had an attachment to this thing. I think it possibly feeds off my negativity. I honestly wonder if it somehow jumped into me. If you want a visual representation of what this thing kind of looked like, search for the band Necrogoblicon. The singer wears a mask that looks very close to what I saw, only it was brown and with recurved black horns. Thanks again for allowing me to share this experience. I don't know of anyone else who has ever seen a goblin or some sort of demon, but I do feel at home sharing it in the swamp. I am from North Carolina. I live in a small town right outside of the Charlotte area, and where I currently live there's barely any paranormal activity. Given that it's an old town, anyways, this took place in April three years ago. My family and I went on an unplanned vacation to Maryland back in April of 2018. We spent a couple of days up there, and on our way back, we stopped in Washington, D.C. We toured the city and saw the Catholic shrines. My family has always been very devout to our Catholic faith, so we were excited to see the shrines and the arts. We wrapped up the day by going to Mass. We hit the road and after being stuck in traffic for almost two hours, we were able to get out of DC. The car ride was rather normal after that. At around 2 or 3 a.m., we were still on the road and by this point we were absolutely exhausted. So we looked for a hotel to stay at close to Richmond, Virginia. Unfortunately, we were not able to find a room because there happened to be a motocross event in Richmond, which caused all the hotels to be booked up. So my dad suggested that we just keep going, and we would find one outside of the city somewhere. So we kept on. We kept going and going, and eventually, we found a day's in. From the outside, it looked normal. Check-in went as normal, but when we went up the steps to turn the corner, the temperature dropped. The day's in was a motel-style building, so keep that in mind. It was a drastic drop in temperature. At first, my mom and I thought nothing of it but when we got to the room, that's when things started to happen. My parents slept on one bed, and I slept on the other, and we would hear the bathroom door open and close by itself. Finally, my mom was so fed up that she sprinkled holy water all over the room. Sometime around 4.30 a.m., we were finally able to sleep. When I woke up a few hours later, I had perfectly round bruises all over my neck and back. Now, for you skeptics, I had never ever worn necklaces or anything else like that and I always sleep shirtless at night. I'm also a light sleeper, so if I fell, I definitely would have known. Back to the story, when my mom and I got home, we started to discuss what could have caused the bruises around my neck, and the only logical explanation that we could think of is it may have been some sort of spirit or demon in that room that perhaps was not happy with us being there. But one thing I know for sure, Casper does not give people hickeys.
I've always wanted to share this story. I've heard many paranormal stories and there's always a little voice of doubt in terms of the storyteller's authenticity. But while these events didn't happen to me, they did happen to someone I was very close with and contain a few elements of corroboration. It's important for me to get a feeling for honesty when listening to a story that defies scientific belief. So, for what it's worth, this is an honest account. First, a little backstory. Miv was a fascinating woman. She was one of my best friends, which is a little odd because I met her when I was about 18 years old, and she was in her middle ages. I was a young guy into motorcycles and rock music. I played guitar and was into horror movies and working out. As a contrast, she was short, dumpy, had thin greasy hair, a walking stick, and wore thick bottle rim glasses. She was never without a cigarette in her hand, and her ashtray was always full. However, she was an unbelievable, astute, and wise woman, to the point where she was like a wise old oracle to me and my hippie friends. There was never a personal problem she could not fix with a few gentle words. I would often go to her tall, slightly creepy Victorian terrace house, and we would sit in her favorite room and chat philosophically. The air full of smoke and surrounded by dusty antiques and the odd stuffed bird. Her husband was, by all accounts, a wretched man. His nickname, by all, was The Wizard. Their house was pretty much all wood floors, narrow but tall. He wore an orthopedic shoe, known colloquially as a club foot. You'd hear him coming and clomping down the wood stairs from a mile away. As his nickname suggested, he had long gray hair and a little goatee that resembled a stereotypical devil. He always wore a gray suit and had wild staring eyes. He didn't seem altogether and right in his mind. That was apparent during any conversation you would have with him. I don't mean he was like crazy, more like he was old, significantly older than Miv, and his mind was just a little aged. When he was younger, he also gained a reputation for black magic. One brief account I heard was that there was a black magic circle known for their dark deeds, something like the Golden Dawn or something like that. Well, they wouldn't let him join because he was too dark. Suffice to say, he was probably into summoning things. Anyway, over the years before Miv died, we became very close and I heard all kind of cool stories. The story I'm about to recount is, I guess, not so cool. At least not for her. But it's an interesting one. Years ago, when she and her husband were living in South Wales in the UK, they lived in a similar house to the one that I knew that she lived in. A tall, slightly spooky, aren't they all, Victorian terrace house. These houses were usually three stories, maybe a basement, I've lived in one myself, and they're inherently spooky, which kind of sets the tone. At the time, Miv and the wizard had just had their first child, who would grow up to become one of my best friends about 24 years later. She had also, she had also, not too terribly long ago, come out of a brief stint in a nun's convent, so she was very religious. With that came certain beliefs and attitudes which would soon be very much tested to breaking points. I'm not able to be exact with the timeline here, but Miv told me that she started hearing voices, distant at first, in the house, when no one was around. As if often the case in many of these stories, she shrugged it off and ignored it as best she could, but then the voices started to address her directly. Now at this stage, she recalls being very worried that she was in fact unwell, 
and her biggest fear was that her son would get taken away from her due to her inability to take care of him. So, she told no one. The voices got worse and eventually would start saying things like, We're going to drive you mad. And she would say things like that, and so forth. If that wasn't enough, though, she would soon start to see a dark, shadowy figure at the top of the stairs. She told me that it would always appear in such a way that as you turned to look to see if there was something there, you'd almost stumble at the top of these steps and fall to your death. Still, she refused to talk about it. In her mind, and with her religious beliefs, there was no room for ghosts to exist, so it was a subjective phenomenon, and she was indeed losing her marbles. In this house, they had a cleaner. The cleaner would always leave the front door wide open when she was cleaning the stairs in the hall. Miv assumed it was to get fresh air, maybe to help dry the floor. One day, when it was cold, Miv questioned her. Why do you keep that door open? It's so cold. Her response changed Miv's life at this point. She said, It's so if that dark thing at the top of the stairs comes for me, I can get out of here right quickly. Again, bear in mind that Miv had not told anyone about this phenomenon. One day, she had a friend over. The friend was a big, burly, tough woman who stood no nonsense. She didn't believe in any of this supernatural rubbish and was not afraid of ghosts. After sitting in their living room and this lady giving Miv something of telling her off for being so silly and superstitious, the lady got up to go to the bathroom. She came back a moment later, her face white. You okay? said Miv. Can you come with me? replied the lady. Because you don't know where the bathroom is? No, because I'm not going up there on my own with that dark shadow. Another story shared with me was that Miv was bathing her son in the upstairs bathroom when someone knocked on the front door to the house. She yelled down to them, and it turned out to be a friend, so she shouted for him to come up and that she was in the bathroom. She heard him walk up the stairs. He then suddenly broke into a sprint, came running into the bathroom, threw his arms around Miv, and clung to her like a baby, terrified of what he had just seen. Eventually... It all came to a head when this entity started to entice her into something more sinister. She recalls hearing the voices beckoning her upstairs to the dark top floor bedroom. The weird thing here, and what's hard to explain, if only because I don't quite understand it, is that she felt compelled to obey. It got her up the stairs. She would stop. She would resist, and it would gently insist that she continues upward. And again, she would obey against her will. This happened all the way until she got to the bedroom with the lights out. If I recall correctly, the thing asked her to turn the lights out, and she at first said no, but again it insisted. This is crazy, I know. It eventually got her to lie down on the bed. Laying there in the dark, she then described how this entity began to assert itself onto and into her body. She described it like assault, but through her pores if that makes any sense. She began an internal struggle at this stage, and in that struggle was able to draw some willpower to call out the name of Jesus or something like that. I forgot whether she said a small prayer, but some form of religious statement, and the thing went away instantly. I'm sure there are many other anecdotes. The other friends in our circle know of these stories too and have probably heard their own tales. So I may be missing a few key pieces. All I know is that they shortly moved out of that house. Now, one thing that does stand out as interesting 
After discussing the story with a mutual friend who knew Miv for years before I met her, he told me that she'd also said this to him, but around that time that they left the house for good, she saw the wizard kneeling and burying something, and it was thought that he was doing something. Whatever he was doing, though, resembled a closing ceremony for when someone summons a demon. I know some of this won't make any sense, and I don't really expect it to. Why would you stay married to someone that evil, though? I asked myself that question. In fact, you know something? I asked her that same question at least once. She took a long drag on her cigarette, gave a long, slow shrug as she exhaled, and said something about feeling sorry for him. The whole dynamic will have me scratching my head. Miv was incredibly wise in some ways, and yet nonsensical in other ways, but there seemed to be more to that family story than meets the eye. Eventually, they would have a daughter, who was born physically and mentally disabled. The daughter is only surviving family of the member now. My friend, her son, died of cancer about seven years after I met both him and his mother. The wizard died around that same time, too, and Miv, heartbroken over the death of her son, died just two years after we buried him. She used to say, When I die, I'm going to haunt you, in her usual playful way. Eyes twinkling, taking a drag of a cigarette. She meant to come back and give me a clue about the other side. After attending her son's funeral, I was walking on the waterfront of my hometown. I was thinking about them both, and I felt tearful. I sat on the seawall and spoke to her. I asked her why she didn't come to me to show me any evidence of the other side. I concluded, well, maybe she tried, but I can't see it. Maybe I can only see what I can only see. I stood up to walk away, and something compelled me, I don't know what or why, to look down where I was sitting. There, etched into the very slab of concrete I was sitting on, was the first, initial, and the last name of her son, who we had buried two days before. Hey Swamp Dweller, my name is Michael B, and I live in the oldest village in Saskatchewan, before it was Saskatchewan, or before Canada was even a country. We live in the largest delta in Canada, and the second largest in the world. Something that old is obviously going to be haunted, and there's going to be lots of stories about creatures of the night. There are stories of witches, skimwalkers, wetigos, which are basically wendigos. There's been sightings of demons, a man in a trench coat with goat legs, and even the devil himself. For now, I want to talk about a story of a haunted house I lived in. It was used for wake ceremonies, before we had halls to host them, and right behind the house was the graveyard. I'll start from the first happening. First, let me tell you about the layout of the front and back doors. Let's say you're standing on the street. You have the front door facing the street, obviously, and stairs leading up to it with the big bay window next to the front door. The back door is on the side of the house facing the street as well, so you can see in both doors from the street. One day, I was home alone doing chores, and when it was time to do my laundry, I had to go downstairs into the basement to do it. The basement was scary by itself, even if it wasn't haunted because of how old it looked. Whenever I did my laundry, I would always feel like I was being chased up the stairs by something. It honestly felt like there was a face right at the back of my neck the entire time, screaming at me, breathing down my neck. On this day, my brother Jay was coming over to visit since I was home alone. 
I happen to be coming up from the basement, which pops up right at the back door. So, he saw me walking past the door into the living room. When he saw me walk past the storm door, he said he saw someone walking right behind me. When he gets into the house, he asks me who else is here, and I tell him no one. I've been home alone since this morning. He then tells me that he saw someone right behind me, following me from the basement. It gets worse throughout the months, but I'm oblivious to what's happening because I didn't believe in this stuff at the time. The second happening, I get home from drinking at about 4am. I head into my room to sleep, and as I'm about to fall asleep, I swear I hear what sounds like hooves walking on my ceiling, or maybe even in the attic. It sounded bipedal for sure, heavy, and it stopped right above me. The last thing that happened before I refused to stay in that house was the worst thing. I was coming home after staying at my cousin's house for a couple of days and seeing that my house was well lit. I assumed someone was home, so I started jogging because it was dark and mosquitoes liked to bite. Remember when I told you there was a big bay window by the front door? Well, the curtains were open and as I ran up the stairs I looked inside and saw a black mass sitting on my couch looking out to me. I didn't think anything of it. I thought someone was home. There was a split second from when I see that thing on the couch to when I walked in the house. I walk in and there was no one there whatsoever. I was absolutely creeped out. I started calling out to my mom and walked around the entire house. Nothing. No one was home. I stood in my living room for a second and that's when it hit me. Who the hell was on my couch? That's when I hear someone walking up the stairs and dread washed over me. I got the hell out of that house and moved out a month later due to unrelated things. Hello Swamp Folk, are you familiar with our longtime sponsor HelloFresh? Well, if not, HelloFresh is something amazing. With HelloFresh you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Here in the swamp, I've been using HelloFresh for almost two years now, and I absolutely love it. Fall can be hectic. With the holidays and everything else that's happening, HelloFresh's recipes save time that you would otherwise spend on meal prepping, grocery shopping, and shopping, so you can focus on getting back into a new routine and spending quality time with the family. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every single week, including vegetarian, calorie smart, and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety for every single person. Fall is for family time. Recipes like meatloaf a la mom and one pot broccoli mac and cheese make weeknights go off without a hitch. I love HelloFresh like I said. I've been using it for a long time. HelloFresh has helped me save 30% on my groceries over the years. What are you waiting for? You can be saving money too. So go to HelloFresh.com Swamp14 and use code Swamp14 for up to 14 free meals including free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com Swamp14 use code Swamp14 for up to 14 free meals including free shipping. Find out why me and thousands of others in the Swamp are using America's number one meal kit. These events happened during my second year at university. It was September. The school year was about to start and I had moved into a high-rise apartment with three other girls, Brittany, Morgan, and Natalie. It didn't take long for some sketchy things to start happening. After two weeks of living in the apartment, Morgan asked me if I was rolling a ball around at night. I told her it wasn't me, and that she must have been hearing things. We dropped the subject, but that night I started hearing knocking in the vent above my bed. The vent hung below the ceiling, 
and the opening was perfectly in line where my head would be when I was sleeping. The knocking sound was annoying, and it would only happen at odd hours of the night. I always thought it was probably the sound from the air conditioning turning on, but the knocking sounded strange, almost human and rhythmic, like someone trying to get my attention. Still, I didn't think too much of it and didn't think anything was going on. It was just an odd noise that I could live with, so I told myself. About a week later, I woke up to hear what sounded like a marble rolling on the tile floor above me. It was a distinct sound, and I finally believed Morgan, but I knew there had to be a logical explanation. There were college boys living in the apartment above us, and I figured they were probably messing around. By November, Natalie, Morgan, and I had been hearing the noises every night, but Brittany claimed she had never heard them. One day, we were making small talk with the building manager, and I mentioned the noises. She said the people who lived in our apartment before heard rolling and knocking sounds as well. She claimed she had electricians come in to fix noises, but I guess it never worked. At this point, we all thought it was funny. We didn't believe in ghosts. Well, I didn't until that night. As we were walking into our apartment, my back was to the living room, and Morgan and Natalie were facing me, so they had a full view of the living room. I jokingly said to them, Well, it looks like the apartment is haunted. Natalie looked at me, laughed, and said, Ghosts aren't real. As soon as the last word came out of her mouth, I heard the most gut-wrenching, deafening noise I had ever heard up until that point. Crashing, shattering, and scratching noises erupted from behind me. My heart raced and I saw true terror on Natalie and Morgan's face. Their high-pitched screams pierced my ears and, on instinct, I ran. I didn't even look back one time. I just screamed and ran straight out of the apartment with Natalie and Morgan close behind. We didn't stop until we were one floor away from the lobby and at that point, we were in tears. It may have been an overreaction, but I thought a maniac had broken into our apartment. Natalie explained that after she had spoken, everything in our apartment crashed onto the floor. She didn't see anyone. All she saw was all of our stuff just flying off. The shelves, the counters. After a while, we calmed down and went back upstairs. Inside of our apartment, all of our pictures, appliances, lights, and decorations were on the ground. Our light fixtures were unscrewed and were hanging by the wires. Some of the cabinet drawers had been left open and our Christmas lights were twisted around the sofa. We really did try to rationalize what had happened, but we just could not figure it out. We lived in Canada, so there was no earthquake, tremor, or tornado. Brittany had been in the apartment the entire time. When we knocked on the door, she answered and said she had never heard anything happen. I found that very hard to believe. Throughout the year, odd occurrences kept happening. The noises continued. Our lights would turn on and off. Doors would open and close and sometimes at night we would hear someone mumbling in the hallway. My tolerance level for annoying things got low as exam season approached, so I stopped caring about what was happening. The next year, Natalie, Morgan, and I moved into a different apartment within the same building. We didn't experience anything weird after moving out. I can't help but think that Brittany was to blame for some of this. It's hard to explain, but she was a dark person. I wouldn't put it past her to have messed with us for fun. To this day, I still can't decide if it was something paranormal, Brittany messing with us, or just an odd coincidence. Regardless, it was one of the weirdest and scariest experiences of my life. I just hope I never live in a haunted apartment or haunted house ever again.
I have an aunt that lives in a haunted house. The house was built in the late 1800s. The house has a weird setup. It is technically two separate identical houses conjoined as one big house. According to my mom, the house was owned by two women that were twins. With each twin living on their own side and each side connecting through a staircase in the attic. Legend has it that the twins had an uncle that did bad things to them that ended in one of the twins getting pregnant and having a baby. The other twin smothered the baby, ending in both twins committing suicide. Weirdly, almost every family member that has ever had the misfortune of sleeping over at that house has left with a story to tell. To my own dismay, I have on two different occasions experienced something here. The summer after I graduated 8th grade, my older cousin was getting married out of state. Not all of our family from our state could go, so just me and my aunt went. We had a very early flight to catch, so she figured it would be better if I spent the night at her house. I asked if I could sleep in her room. When she asked why, I was direct and told her because the house was haunted. As usual, she shrugged it off and angrily disputed that there were no ghosts, she said. If it will make you feel a little bit better, you can stay in my room. As night drew near, I went to the bathroom, to the medicine cabinet, and took sleep medicine, in hopes it would make me fall asleep before my aunt. Sure enough, it didn't. My aunt dozed off and I lay wide awake and scared, occasionally switching my eyes from looking at the TV to glance at the hallway through the open door. A couple of hours passed and nothing happened. I started to let my guard down and relax just a little bit. I got a little more comfortable in the bed and, out of nowhere, the closet doorknob started to frantically rotate as if someone was trying to get out. I immediately sat up, wide awake and in panic mode. The remaining hours of the night I stayed awake in fear watching the closet door, not sure who or what was trying to open it, but to this day, I'm happy it never did. Years later, the summer after I graduated college, I spent the night over at her house again. Like the previous time, we were traveling out of town the next day, and my aunt figured it would be better if I spent the night at her house, so we could catch an early flight the next morning. I unhappily obliged. As we retired for the night, I headed to the room where I would be sleeping. It was the room down the hall from my aunt's. I closed the door, put on my PJs, and sat down on the recliner in front of the TV. I had already mentally prepared myself and had expected to stay awake the entire night. The beginning of the night, I browsed the web of my phone to pass some time. A couple of hours passed and nothing was happening. So, as soon as the clock approached 3am, I began to hear what sounded like heeled shoes walking. Whatever it was walked up the stairs down the hall and stopped right outside the room I was in. I immediately jumped up, went to the heavy day bed in the room and pushed it in front of the door to prevent whatever it was from opening the door. The walking continued. Again and again. It would start from the base of the stairs and go up the stairs and down the hall, each time stopping right outside the door of the room I was in. Despite barricading the door, closed, I was still scared. To lighten up the tense atmosphere, I turned on a channel that had some stand-up comedy and tried to watch that, but I was still terrified. The walking persisted for about an hour. Eventually it stopped, but I kept the door barricaded, remained awake, and waited until the morning to open the door. I have not been back to sleep over at my aunt's house, and I likely never will.
This story takes place 20 years ago in my mom's hometown in the Mexican state of Chihuahua. I was 5 years old and currently living with my mom in her hometown while my dad worked in the United States. My uncle had recently returned from the US to complete the house he was building for my aunt. My mom volunteered to help my aunt and uncle finish the interior painting. On most days, my mom would bring me along to the house. I would sit in my aunt's bed while my aunt and my mom would paint. My mom had told me of a day when my mom and aunt were painting while my uncle had left to go get some more paint and rollers. Suddenly, they hear the front door slam open and heavy footsteps make their way to the living room. Surprised that my uncle returned so quickly and frantically, my mom called out my uncle's name but got no response. My aunt followed my mom as she went to investigate but found the front door closed and locked and the driveway empty. Months later, my aunt and uncle returned to the United States and allowed my parents and me to stay in their new home. My mother told me that she hated sleeping in that house. One night, my parents and I were fast asleep in the master bedroom when we heard footsteps and dishes breaking in the kitchen. My dad, thinking someone had broken in, immediately gotten up and grabbed his shotgun and went to investigate the noise. Just a few minutes later, he came back to tell us he found nothing. There was no sign of anything broken, no break-in, nothing. While I only remember that occurrence, my mom insists that my parents heard the footsteps every single night. My dad would always get up and investigate only to find nothing at all. I personally don't remember feeling anything out of the ordinary in the home. However, I was just a child. I do remember that the son of my uncle's friend, who was around my age, would always emphatically refuse to enter the house though. Dear Swamp Dweller, I've been listening to your stories for a while. I finally got the courage to share my own. Mind you, the story at the beginning will be a bit hazy, as it happened to me when I was 5. But as my story goes on, because it continued until I was 22, it will become much clearer. When I was growing up, I lived in a small town in Ohio. To protect my family and friends, their names will be changed. Now, I have an older sister who I will call Lucy. We live in a small trailer outside of a small town literally in the middle of nowhere. It would take us 20 minutes to get to any major stores. One night, my sister Lucy was inviting her friend who I will call Jessie over to spend the night and have a sleepover. At the time, me and my sister had shared a room. Jessie was one of my sister's odd friends. She was gothic and into creepy stuff. Not to say there's anything wrong with that, but I was just kind of off put by it at the time. So, she had brought over a Ouija board. Me being five years old, not understanding the significance of it, I thought it was just some kind of board game. Well, later that night, I want to say sometime around midnight, my sister Lucy and her friend Jessie pulled out the Ouija board and told me to go to bed. After putting a ring of salt around my bed and around them saying it would protect us. Well, being a little kid, I wanted to see what the big kids were doing. They turned off all the lights and lit a couple of candles. Both sat cross-legged on the floor with their hands on the indicator. Now, I'm not really sure what it's called. Then, they started asking questions. Within a few minutes, they started receiving answers. Both did the normal reaction, which was, Did you move it? And they kept blaming each other. After a few minutes, they realized that neither one of them were doing it, and there was an outside force moving it. At one point, 
whatever was doing it asked them to both lay on the floor. I remember this very clearly. Maybe about 5 to 10 seconds after they laid on the floor, I saw a red orb and white orb enter the room. I was so confused, I had no idea what was going on. Then, as I watched from my bed, I saw the red orb enter my sister and the white orb enter Jesse. For a few moments, nothing happened. Neither one of them moved. Then it was like all hell broke loose. Dark shadow figures swarmed over me in my bed. I started to scream. My mother heard all the commotion, and when she came in, I was being lifted off the bed by my hair. My sister and her friend were stuck to the floor and could not move. My mother started chanting something. I couldn't for the life of me tell you what it was that she said. But whatever it was, it worked. I felt my bed and my sister and her friend both sat at the same time. My mother looked at them and then looked at me. She saw the Ouija board on the floor and asked my sister and her friend what they had done. When neither one of them would answer, she asked me. I told her what I saw and what had happened. My mother was angry at my sister and her friend. She took the Ouija board away and went outside to burn it. As I would later learn, that is not the thing to do. For 10 years after that, nothing happened. My parents had bought a double-wide trailer and put in a basement foundation to make it look like a real home. When building all of this, we had a lot of problems. The biggest problem that I could remember when we were doing the basement foundation and the back wall of the foundation, it fell in. We chalked it up to nothing but natural occurrences, but it kept happening, and it was a pain in the butt to get it to stay up. I don't even remember what they ended up doing to make sure it didn't happen again. The year I turned 15, my mother had gone to an antique store and bought an antique mirror. She hung it above a 55-gallon aquarium. One day, me, my sister, and my mother were sitting in the dining room. We were all talking about mundane things about our lives. All of a sudden, we heard something running through the house and then a child's laughter, and then my bedroom door slammed. Me and my mother and my sister both looked at each other in shock and horror. We had no idea what had just happened. Things continued to get worse from there. There was one morning during the summer I had woken up late from staying up all night. My mother had been working a 70-hour work week and had the day off, so she was sleeping in too. When I walked out into the kitchen, I screamed because all the cabinet doors were open and all the dishes were stacked on the counters. It was insane because there were like canned vegetables on top of them, balanced in ways that were just not natural. This was stacked in a way that would be extremely odd for any human being to do. When my mother heard the scream, she came out of her bedroom and saw what had happened. She had started to put the pieces together, so she did her best to seek help. She talked to my father about it. My father was a skeptic and he had never really you know, witnessed any of these events, so I don't really think he believed in any such thing. This ends up in an argument between the two of them. Eventually, my mother just waited until he was away for work to go to a Wicca priestess to ask for help. The priestess gave her things to bless the house with. She sent me away to one of my friends and called my sister over who had moved out a while back for some help. I do not know the events that occurred that night. I do not know what really went down, but... For at least a year, things were okay after that, until one night, I was in the living room. The way our living room was set up was that we had one large couch, which was set up against the window, next to an end table. On the other end 
was another end table and a love seat, so it was shaped like an L, with the coffee table in the middle. Next to the other end table, at the end of the large couch, was the TV stand. We also had a fireplace in the living room, which was across from the large couch directly opposite. It was a weekend, and I was working on a project for school. My parents were out grocery shopping, so I sat at the coffee table on the floor, working on my project, while watching TV with my back to the fireplace. Suddenly, I got the strange feeling like something was watching me. I started looking around, and then I looked at the fireplace. I noticed movement in the fireplace. As I kept on looking at the fireplace intently, I noticed a face. Whatever this thing was, had scraggly hair with cat-like eyes that were green in the most demonic smile I could ever imagine. It had what looked like alligator teeth. I was so entranced by it, I kept on staring at it, and then I decided to draw it. It moved its head back and forth, and finally, it said something to me. It said, I've been with you for many years, and I will never leave. Even when you think I'm gone, I'll still be there. At this point, being scared out of my mind, I ran to grab my house phone and called my mother and told her she needed to get home now. When her and my father got home, they asked me what I was doing in their bedroom. They could see me from the window while they were driving up the driveway. I told them I hadn't even left the living room. I was too scared to move. My parents did not believe me because my mother got upset and told me I shouldn't be telling stories. Two weeks after this event was when things really got bad. My father was away on work again. Me and my mother were sitting in the living room watching TV together. As we were watching TV, we started hearing bangs on our front door. My mother went to check on what it was, and there was no one there. She sat back down and started watching TV with me again. Then we heard footsteps running across the house from my bedroom to their bedroom and the door slamming. The laughter of a child followed it again. Me and my mother both looked shocked to each other. The cabinet doors in the kitchen all started opening and closing and banging hard like somebody was angry. The mirror above the fish tank started vibrating and banging off the wall. At this moment, me and my mother both stood up and ran for her bedroom. She went to her side table and pulled out sage candles and the Bible. She lit the candles and the sage and started repeating a verse from the Bible. I started to become angry and felt sick all of a sudden. After about 20 minutes of her just repeating the verses, everything stopped. She asked me if I was okay, to which I replied I did not feel very well. She put her hand on my forehead and realized I was burning up. A few hours later, after we cleaned up everything, I felt fine. The fever was gone. Many years later, I had entered a bad relationship. When I was around 22, me and my ex decided to go on a night drive. It had been raining for quite a few days and we wanted to get out of the house. We were coming down a steep hill and all of a sudden, something was before us. When I say something, I knew exactly what it was. It was the same scraggly figure I had seen in my fireplace all those years ago. But this time it had a body and it was about six foot tall and it had long claws for hands. My ex slammed on the brakes to try to avoid it and we swerved past it. It reached out towards the car, trying to scratch out at us. Our tires blew out, and he started swerving uncontrollably down a hill with a curved bottom with an embankment. We went over the embankment, and we landed on a bush allowing us to land softly, 
luckily. My ex had hit his head on the window on the driver's side. I had been wearing my seatbelt and was not injured too bad. He was unconscious for roughly five minutes. Well, I was trying to get out of the car to get help. We landed on the opposite side, so the only way out of the car was through my door on the passenger side. When he finally came to, he helps me open the passenger door and climb out. Mind you, in this moment we were both in shock. He decided he was going to walk back to his house and pull the car out with his truck. He told me to stay there and wait. As I did, the figure appeared again, this time within 10 feet of me. It spoke without moving its mouth with that same demonic smile. I believe it was trying to say something to me, but I couldn't decipher it this time. My ex started coming down the hill with his truck. When the light hit the figure, it disappeared. I didn't tell him what happened. I was too scared and I thought I was still in shock. A few months later, me and him broke up. I have not seen him since, although I have heard about him. And things in his life have gone bad. I don't know if it was the creature's doing or if it was just karma. I do know when I speak about these events that they send chills down my spine. I have not seen the figure since that day. I pray that I never will again. I don't know if it came from the Ouija board or not, but I refuse to have one in my home or around me. Sorry this was long-winded, but this really did happen. I hope you decide to share this on your show. I love listening to your stories and hope you continue with it. So this happened a long time ago, but I just came across this channel and I thought maybe you would enjoy this story. So I was in middle school at the time. It was the summer between my 7th and 8th grade year. I was about 13 years old at the time. A group of friends and I were all at my girlfriend's house. She lived in a small duplex. We were young and somewhat obsessed, but also very skeptical of spooky stuff. One of us out of the blue suggested, Hey, let's make a Ouija board and try to talk to spirits. I think you can tell where this is going. So, we got out a paper and made a Ouija board and used a shock glass as the planchette. It was all fun and games at first. We all put our fingers on the shot glass and played for a while, but eventually lost most of the group because they got bored of it. We all sat down around after talking for a bit. Two of the girls went upstairs to go to our friend's bedroom to do whatever nonsense, and I got the bright idea to play on the board by myself. I know what you're all thinking. Bad plan. Everyone knows that's a bad plan. But hey, I was 13 and I didn't really believe in any of it. Anyways, I did the thing, and right as I'm about to say goodbye, my two friends run back down to the room that we are all sitting in. One of them lifts their shirt to reveal scratches on their ribs as if someone had dug their nails in and just scratched them up real bad. She looked down at me and screamed at me to say goodbye. I did, of course, and nothing happened after that. Everything was fine, and we all just had a good time. But to this day... I don't know if something paranormal was going on or if it was a weird coincidence. Either way, the girl that got scratched has still brought it up to me every time that I've seen them. When I was 17 years old, my friend George was attacked by something supernatural right in front of me. My friends and I have been very intrigued by Ouija boards towards the end of high school. We spent several nights over a few months, 
cramming together and hovering over a planchette. We had a variety of experiences using the Ouija board, most of which you could describe as mildly supernatural or just plain old coincidence. One of the places we would frequent was the garage in George's family home. Like most garages, it was dark, damp, and cluttered. George was intrigued by the Ouija board as we all were. That is, until it started to target George. Over the course of different sittings, we would ask it all kinds of questions like who it was, what it wanted, how many fingers are behind my back, stuff like that. We still weren't convinced it was legit. We had the spirit tell us who they were, and when prompted for what they wanted, they replied, kill George. George was justifiably spooked, but to save face, he persevered. A sitting following that, we had asked the same questions, and the conversation developed. A now different spirit had changed its mind and decided it was the previous spirit and it still wanted to kill George. This paired with several events that George had experienced himself in the night that followed had driven George away from our little seances. We, however, were still more than happy to tinker around and were not satisfied yet. On the last night we played with the Ouija board, we set up in George's garage as we usually did. He still let us use his garage, and in his presence, he just did not want to participate. That night, it was just George, two girls and me. We turned out the lights and set up the board. We even lit a candle or two for good effect. George and one girl sat across from the other girl and myself. We were all in coats because it was winter and the garage was poorly insulated. The three of us, with our hands on the planchette, had barely even begun when George's coat arm caught on fire. I remember watching him fling his arm around as he tried to smother the flame. I immediately jumped up and turned on the lights. It didn't take long for George to put out the flame. We quickly piled out of the garage into his basement, and after a few moments of panic and confusion, we divert our attention towards George. He took his coat off and swore his arm was fine. There wasn't a single mark on his skin. Then we diverted our attention to the newly charred coat arm. The burn was about the radius of a fist, and it burned deeply through the layers, just shy of the inner layer of cloth. The most startling part was, undeniably, the shape of a goat's hoof. We hid the coat for several days. Once we gained the courage, George and I pulled it back out to debunk our little experience. Unfortunately, it was not what we thought it would be. After all, there were open flames in the room, and we had a cigarette in his hand. We applied a cigarette directly to the opposite coat arm, several times. We took a lighter to it in an attempt to simulate the same kind of flame. No matter what we tried, we could not come close to recreating the hoof-like burn. Over time, I thought that maybe George had decided to stage the whole thing to deter us from the Ouija board. He certainly had motive. That was ten years ago. George and I are still great friends. Occasionally, I get confident that I can get him to fess up and I press him on the subject. It's been ten years, and he still has the same response, that he loved that coat, and he was just as surprised and terrified as we were. Personally, I don't believe he staged it. I believe that we experienced something authentic, and my perspective on life has never been the same since. My friends and I were in high school when we came across a Ouija board at Toys R Us. We decided we wanted to try it out and see if it really worked. 
There were three of us in my basement with the board on the floor, and we began asking the usual questions you might see in any horror movie or paranormal TV show. We started off with the usual, hello, and waited for the board to start working. The planchette slowly began to move, and I accused one of my friends of pushing it. My friends both let go, and I felt the planchette moving on its own with my own hands. I don't really know how to describe the sensation, but it was almost as if a magnet was dragging it across underneath the board. How many people are in the room with us? We asked. Four, the board answered, even though there were only three of us in the room. We then continued to ask, Are you alive? And the planchette slowly dragged itself to no. Are you nice? My friend Jess asked, and the planchette returned to the middle of the board, and then quickly and forcefully moved back to no. I remember at this point, the air felt much heavier, and my heart began to beat faster. I was starting to feel that flight-or-fight response. What is your name? My friend Sarah asked in a deep and serious tone. The pointer moved its way over to one letter, and then another, and then another, beginning to spell out the name of a demon that I recognized. As it was in the middle of spelling its name out, I gasped and said the name out loud. As I did this, the planchette stopped dead in its tracks, and a long, black millipede crawled out from under my bed and ran over to the board and exited the room underneath the door. My friend screamed, and we quickly got up and put the board back in its box. We didn't quite know what to do with the board, because we heard there is no good way to dispose of it, and burning it could make it worse. So we stored it in the back of my garage, which at the time was a separate building from my house. That night we didn't think much else of what had happened. However, we were still quite freaked out. I remember sleeping with my grandmother's rosary beach by my bed for quite a few nights after that. I am far from religious. It's really funny how stuff like that works. The next day when I woke up, my mom called me outside in a panic. There was a decapitated baby rabbit left merely inches from the front porch steps. Its head was left to the side of its body. I can tell you this, that it's the first time anything like this has ever happened to us. At the time, I lived close to a city, so wild animals usually never really hung around. The following week, I remember getting ill to the point to where I had a high temperature and couldn't get out of bed for days. The illness slowly got better, but it lasted for weeks. My friends, however, were fine. It only seemed to be affecting me. From then on, not much else had happened. However, whenever my dog went downstairs, they would start shaking and running back and forth. If I had any guests stay in the basement, they always reported getting creeped out, especially by the dark hallway in the back, and almost everyone reported having nightmares each time they stayed in the basement. Any small animals, such as fish, hermit crabs, and hamsters who lived in the basement met an untimely death. We eventually decided it was best not to raise anything down there anymore. The strange part about this is that that never happened until this point. In fact, because it was a nice, finished basement with a good amount of sunlight and ventilation, we had animals living down there for over 10 years without a problem. Our family had guinea pigs, rabbits, and frogs that lived healthy lives down there when I was a small child. One time, my little sister slept in the basement and she said that she had a horrible nightmare. When she woke up, the closet door opened and there was an old woman sitting there, staring at her, pointing a long, gnarly finger directly at her. Although she didn't say anything, 
Apparently her expression showed a lot of intense emotion. Thinking about what had happened still freaks out my entire family to this very day. Now that I think back at it, I remember that we had these old walkie-talkies from the late 80s or early 90s, and one day we turned it on in the basement and there was an angry male voice swearing and screaming for a long time. The screaming wasn't really directed at anyone. It was just meaningless, vulgar phrases. Maybe the radio was just picking up on a random person's call. However, it went on for so long that I couldn't imagine someone just sitting there swearing all day. It's been about 10 years now, and I no longer live in that house. Since then, I've had no contact with the new owners of the house, and I do not know whether this stuff still goes on. So, these could have all been coincidences or isolated events, but I think so much happened in a short amount of time that I can't really write it off as such. My girlfriend, now wife, started college back in 2001. She dormed with her sister for a year. Her two best friends also ended up going to the same college, so we would hang out a lot after her classes were over. Me having been kicked out of school for terrible grades would spend all my free time up there when I was not working. Her dorm building had a commons area on the second floor and third floor, and each area had various board games. Her floor just so happened to have a Ouija board as well. We, showing all the grace and intelligence of 18 and 19 year olds, decided to break it out and use it. I was actually excited as I had never used one before, but my girlfriend apparently had. Now before the fun part, it's worth pointing out that this was a Catholic college and her dorm building was also serving as a Catholic high school. Nuns still live on site and there is also a small cemetery next to the dorm where a few nuns were laid to rest. I don't know, and I don't really remember, who started asking questions, but we eventually got a response from someone claiming to be a nun. I'm not sure if this was actually a nun or not. Maybe it was a demon. I can't remember this sister's name to save my life, so forgive me as it's been almost 20 years. We started asking her questions. Who she was, how she passed. The pointer started swinging back and forth after that question, which really freaked us out. And if she was mad about something... Well, it turns out that she was mad that I was there. We asked why she was mad and she spelled out my first name. This really freaked out my girlfriend. We then asked if she wanted me to leave and she replied with yes. My girlfriend hugged me in almost a tearful way and we ended the session. And soon after, I left the campus. Now, there are various ways one could take essentially being chased out by a ghost from a college dorm. I myself find the best possible solution is to drive back to your hometown about 45 minutes from me at the time, go to the local ice cream hotspot, Magic Fountain in Elizabeth, and then order and devour a banana split all by yourself. Maybe this story is more about how I got ice cream instead of the Ouija board, but I still won't touch one ever since. I'll never forget this experience I'm about to share. It was the night of August 14th, 2021. I was fishing at the local river with my friend in a suburb of Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. We loved coming to this public park to fish because it was quiet, and there was a nice sandbar to fish. In addition, this park had a Sioux burial mound about a half mile from our spot. 
After fishing for a better part of the day, we decided to leave at dusk. To get back to our vehicles, we had to take a trail through the woods, which was about a five minute walk. I put up a clip-on light on the bill of my hat so that we could see the path. When I first glanced down the trail, I remember seeing two circular white lights that I assumed were fireflies at first. Once we got further down the trail, we were close to the area where I had seen the quote-unquote fireflies. Then, I saw a pair of eyes that were either highly reflective from my light or glowing white. It wasn't long before I could make out a body. Its body was substantial. It was on four legs, more significant than a wolf but unnaturally skinny. I couldn't make out any facial features at first because its eyes were bright and I wanted to warn my friend. But all I could manage to say was, there, There's something there. We had no choice but to proceed because this was the only way back to our vehicles. This thing just stared us down, but didn't make a sound. The closer I got, the more I noticed it looked like a deer. My friend noticed it and tried to yell at it and try to scare it away, but it didn't react at all. I yelled at it as well, after they did, and it responded by mimicking my voice. I honestly questioned myself and thought I imagined things. So I yelled at it again, and it responded at the same volume, same pitch, precisely in my voice. So, at this point, we realized this was not an animal. We continued the path in silence, but I maintained eye contact with the creature. I felt like this thing was ready to attack us at any given moment, but it just stood there, staring at us. Eventually we were out of the woods, and I could no longer see the glow of its eyes. We made it to our vehicles and felt a sense of relief. I asked my friend, did you hear it talk back to me? She said that she did, and it sounded just like my voice when it responded to us. If she hadn't heard the voice, I would have assumed I imagined it. We went over what happened, and our stories were the same, except for what we thought was the shadow of the creature. I thought I saw some sort of deer. They thought they saw some sort of wolf. After our experience, I had a friend who took us to see a shaman. The shaman believed it was an evil spirit and cleansed us. The experience still shook me up for a long time. My friend was pretty shook up for a few weeks as well. I tried to hire a spiritual advisor online, but when I described the incident and asked for spiritual cleansing of my own, it, it just said that there was none available at this time. At the advice of one of my friends, I burned some tobacco and said a prayer that the entity would hopefully leave me alone. From what I know, skinwalkers are part of Navajo culture, and I'm not sure that's what this was, but it does check more of the boxes than any other supernatural being encrypted. I don't know much about not deer, but it is like what I witnessed as well. I'm not entirely sure whether it's a not deer or something else. Either way, I was absolutely terrified. I live in Oregon. It's not quite a rural town, but our village is small and only about a 10 minute drive to what you would consider a rural town or area. Everyone's heard about the cryptids and lore of the Oregon woods. I wouldn't say I like these woods. They're just vast and terrifying, but at the same time tempting and beckoning. So I stay out of the woods. I don't hunt or fish, 
and I might go hiking every once every couple of months or so with some friends, but I make it a point not to go where I don't feel safe. So, I typically brushed off all the stories about the woods here until I had experienced something of my own, and I'm ready to share what I saw that night. My friend and I worked the graveyard shift at a local bakery, and we always carpool. So she picks me up at about 11.30pm. The bakery itself is more rural, but the main road in town takes us almost out of there. It's a well-lit road until you get slightly out of town, and since it's the main road through town, there are usually passing cars or people walking, even at nighttime. It takes about 10 minutes to get to work using this road from my house. For about three months, this road was being repaved. We had to stop right before turning into the bakery to wait for the construction crew to finish whatever project they were doing. After two nights of being stopped right outside of work for over an hour, an estimated date of construction being done, being about three months out, we decided to start taking the back roads to work. The back way to work was on the opposite side of town of this main road. It took us out of town, around the outskirts of town, and finally to the bakery for a total of about 30 minutes of travel instead of 10. Heavy wood surrounded this back road. There was a private driveway to every house every five miles or so. No street lights, no passing cars, no pedestrians. This road was also highly curvy, just constant twists and turns. As expected, we had seen a lot of deer and the occasional possum, squirrel, etc. This night, we started our journey through the back roads just like we had been all week. We got about 10 miles through when my friend went around this bend and suddenly slammed on her brakes. I was on my phone, so I wasn't really paying attention when it happened at first. I look up and this huge buck is right in front of the car. I'm talking about massive, not moose-sized, but one of the most significant bucks I have ever seen. He was just staring directly at us through the windshield. We were just frozen for a moment for some reason. We both looked down at the feet of the deer, and in between its front feet and its back feet was a dead raccoon. It was strange. It was a raccoon, and its face was pointed toward us. Ringlets on the tail, basically a stereotypical raccoon. Except this thing was also massive. Now, the buck was significant, but large dollars aren't unheard of. This raccoon was the size of a giant dog, like a mastiff. We looked back up at the deer, and it was still staring at us, like it was making eye contact with us both. Its eyes just seemed so evil. My friend flashes her high beams and honks the horn at it, hoping to scare it off. It doesn't run off. Without breaking eye contact with us, it slowly starts walking toward the car. We both are freaked out at this point, and my friend throws it in reverse, backs up, and swerves around the deer. The entire time it moves its head to keep contact with us, pull to the side, and drive away. We look back behind us, and this thing is just standing in the road staring at us still as we move out. We finally went around a curve, and I lost sight of it. But, until then, it never stopped staring right at us. We talked about this a lot and about how weird it was. I didn't think deer ate meat. I'm not a deer expert, I just assumed they were herbivores but it does turn out they do eat meat in desperate situations. So standing over the dead raccoon was the most unsettling part, even over the constant eye contact. Luckily, we weren't dumb enough to get out of the car. 
but I always wonder what would have happened if we did. Since then, I've been aware of the lore around here. I've heard unsettling stories and screams coming from the woods, but this was the only actual encounter I think I've ever had with what we could call the not-deer. Maybe I'm just overthinking this, or maybe I stumbled upon something weird. Has anybody else listening to the show ever encountered this? Now to start everything off, I live in northern Quebec, and I've lived there for about 17 years now. My grandfather used to take me hunting out in the woods when I was 10. He told me one of his stories when I was younger about what I believe could be a not deer that was possibly hunting in the woods. He had told me that livestock had been mysteriously going missing. The animals had been eaten or just taken, is what his thoughts were. But his thoughts were cancelled out when he saw this giant deer one day. This deer, he said, was the biggest deer he had ever seen in his entire life. It could have easily weighed 400 pounds or more. So as he picked up his gun when he saw the deer, he dialed in his sight for the range at least 200 yards out. When he dialed in his sights, he aimed and took the shot. He said he shot the deer at least twice with an A308 Lapua, but the deer never stood a chance but somehow he said the deer still stood tall. So my grandfather, after a couple of seconds of thinking, I remember this very vaguely, but he picked me up and ran as fast as he could. Once we got back to the cabin, he was out of breath, going downstairs into the basement, picking up every single gun he owns and loading it and cocking it. It was just me and my grandfather and my father, and also I believe my brother-in-law at the time. We all held up our guns high except for me with my tiny little 22 caliber, thinking I would do some damage. We anxiously waited for this thing, this beast, whatever it was, to follow us into the cabin. But after 45 minutes of waiting, nothing happened. Later that day around 7pm, we decided to pack our stuff up and get the hell out of Dodge. But once we got back into the city, we were all very shaken up, and it was a very, very quiet ride home. I'm 32 now, but I remember this very vividly. I remember my grandfather and my father telling me the story again when I was 15, saying that grandpa went out to the exact same woods and never came back. We have never heard or seen from my grandfather again. The last thing we know is he was going out deer hunting, and that's where we saw that giant deer creature. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You guys just saw a deer and your grandfather maybe overreacted. And maybe that's the case. But to be fair, it was incredibly weird. All of the noises in the forest when this thing were around were completely mute. Not a single sound was to be heard. It's entirely indicative of how these not-deer, wendigo, skimwalker encounters go. My dog Charlie has gone missing for two weeks now, and he always, and I mean always, comes back when we whistle and call his name. There have been no dogs looking like Charlie at the pound, and we haven't found any carcasses or bodies anywhere. I personally think this thing got my dog as well. I don't know. There's something in the Quebec woods, and I'm scared that it's hunting my family. A few years ago, I had to commute from my job from about October 2018 to January of 2019. It was nothing special. A retail job, but I live in a rural area in the California foothills. 
and it was my only option at the time. I would be driving home every night at 11pm to 2am depending on which route I would take. The highway was always deserted at these times and some nights were more peculiar than others, but nothing so extreme as this story. It wasn't uncommon for me to see a lot of wildlife on these drives. I would just take it slow and be alert. Black-tailed deer, coyotes, raccoons. I was well accustomed to all of these animals at this point. One night, I was only about 10 minutes away from home. I rolled up to the usual four-way stop I'd stopped at hundreds of times before. It was probably around 1am, not a soul around. As I came to a complete stop, I saw something standing just off the side of the road across from the intersection. It was obviously an animal, and it was headed toward the road, so I was going to wait for it to cross to continue. It took me a second to really comprehend what it was. At first, I thought it was a horse, which, although dangerous, wouldn't be that uncommon for where I live due to irresponsible ranchers and their constantly broken fences. Then, as I started to be able to make out more of what it was as it neared the light from my headlights, I realized something was very wrong with this animal. It was tall. So much so, the legs looked like stilt-like. As I sat there, shocked, it slowly stepped into the road and came across my car's direct beam of my headlight. At this point, I realized two things. One, it was taller than my car. And two, its gait was very odd almost like it didn't know how to properly walk as a deer should. It was like all of its joints wanted to bend the wrong way. It moved slowly into the oncoming lane and then swiveled its head to look back at me. All of the hair on my body rose. What spooked me the most was that this was certainly a deer, or at least something that looked like one. It looked normal in every way except the spider-like legs it was standing on. At this point, I gassed it, and the deer stood unmoving as my car sped past. I investigated my rearview mirror and caught a glimpse of it, crossing the oncoming lane back into the shoulder of the highway, illuminated red by my brake lights. When I got home, I ran to my car, got back to my house, and locked myself in, still understandably freaked out. I never saw it again, and since now I'm sending in my story to the show, I was hoping that others may have seen this weird off-deer in the area. This was back around 2012 when I was a teen. Around this time, I'd spend the summer in the Lake Conroe area, in this middle-class subdivision near the resort, backing up to the lake. I'd go on walks often and was used to seeing wild animals like owls, ravens, falcons, rabbits, your occasional fox, and deer. I haven't been back since my grandma sold the house. At around 9.30 p.m., I was walking around the neighborhood when I spotted a doe. She was across the street, where the main street that loops around crosses with another residential street, walking out of a patch of woods. It was normal to see deer around here, like I said, but this time it felt different. She was big and thick in stature, with muscle mass thicker around the neck and big cheeks, almost like a cow head. She just stood there in the middle of the street, and I stood there watching her. There was a street light overhead of her, but street lights were sparse there, making everything around her very dark in contrast. We both stood there for about a minute and she didn't look at me, 
Then she just walked away slowly into another patch of woods and to the other side. But not like how a normal deer would walk. This deer was almost moving like a spider would. But at the same time, looked like it was trying to go back on its hind legs and walk. She eventually approached another patch of woods and disappeared out of sight. I have never been so scared and felt so strange and everything was so quiet outside. There were no bugs. There were no noises. When she crossed into the woods, I thought to myself, what a weird deer. I don't know if it was a not deer or a deer with a disability or genetic defect, but it stuck with me. The moment was ethereal. What do you all think? I have a close trusted friend whose family is Native American and Canadian descent. I think they said it was Chi. I can't really remember, and it's too late to ask. His grandparents are full-blooded Native American, and have passed down stories of skimwalkers and not deer. Not deer are deer that are just not quite right. Like you'll notice the pupil is square, or maybe they'll be a little too tall or a little too humanoid. My friend is not scared of anything other than these legends. He shares frequent experiences of not deer and skimwalker throughout his life, but here is the most recent one he has told me. He calls me and our group of friends from out of his grandma's house in the middle of nowhere in Midwest USA. He sounds extremely panicked, saying he tried to call us multiple times, but it wouldn't go through until now. I was driving down a dirt road by my grandmother's house, and I saw a deer in the road, right? I thought it was dead. But it wasn't. It was staring at me. Not in the deer in the headlights way either. It was just like, looking at me like it didn't care, like it expected me to be there. Did you check on it? Maybe it was hurt. No, I didn't. I, I don't mess with stuff like that. I just went around it. But here's the spooky part. I'm going to cry, man. I'm so scared. It'll be okay, dude. Just tell us what happened. We'll stay on the phone with you. There were more of them. Probably like 30 of them all laying down like they were dead farther down the road, but they were all alive. I didn't see any gunshot marks or anything or any other reason that they'd be doing this. They didn't move or react to my car, even honking. Some popped their heads up and just looked at me, but they didn't move. I don't know, guys. I don't like this. And I couldn't get a signal. It was so dark. At this point, none of us really had any explanations and still don't. We were just pretty freaked out as well and thought it was really weird and stayed on the phone with him until he got back to the city we all lived in. He didn't end up continuing down the path. He pulled around and went in another direction. But I'm not entirely sure what to make of this experience. A little detail to understand. I live in the Ozark Mountains. I have about 63 acres of land on a mountainside, and I'm about 20 minutes from both towns near me. My house was originally a cabin built in the 1800s that someone built onto. I don't have much more knowledge on the house because of all the paperwork being burned in a courthouse fire. Weird things have always happened in and around the house, but those are stories for a different time. Last year around February, I had a huge argument with my husband and decided to hike up the mountain to cool off. My husband went to work in his jeep, and I have my five dogs, so I took them and went up the mountain. Normally, my dogs run around through the trees, but they always keep me in their sight. 
This time, they stuck very close to me. I noted it and just assumed it was because they knew how upset I was. We made it to the clearing, and it just seemed so still up there. I felt a little uneasy, but ignored it and climbed up to our deer stand. I sat there for about 20 minutes, taking some pictures. I looked down to see my dogs at the base of the tree standing in different directions in alert stances. The feeling of dread washed over me. I scrambled down the deer stand and walked across the clearing with dogs in tow. I did not want to run because we do have predators in the area. Suddenly, I hear what sounds like loud whistling. I stopped in my tracks. My dogs are now on high alert and are all staring behind me to the left. My husband's voice came from that direction. He was screaming my name like something was wrong. I cannot describe the fear that came over me. I continued to walk down the mountain and walked over to my husband asking him what was wrong. He looked at me confused and told me he had no idea what I was talking about. I kind of forgot about it until today. I woke up to loud whistling outside of my house at around 4 to 5 a.m. It was the same whistling I used to call my dogs home with. Parts of the whistle was wrong though. All of my dogs were inside and my husband was still asleep. Part of me told me to go check it out, but a voice in my head told me not to. I listened to the voice. I'm not sure if this was a not deer, a tall deer, a skimwalker, a wendigo, whatever you want to call them, but it was definitely creepy and seems to fit the bill. A few months back, I was staying the night at one of my friend's house. He lives on the far edge of town in Utah. He still had neighbors around, but there was a lot of forest around it, and it was next to a canyon. I don't know if the scenery helps to the story, but I will try to list every detail of my encounter. I was staying the night, and my girlfriend also came over to hang out for a while. We hang out, and everything is fine and fun and great. 1am rolls around, and I had to work at 6am in another town about 30 minutes away. So I said, hey... Maybe you should leave so I can get some sleep before work. And at this time, my friend was going to sleep as well, and it was just me and her. As we were walking to her car, I started feeling uneasy, like I could hear something. We get to the driver's side of her car, and I give her a hug goodbye. As I'm hugging my girlfriend, I look behind her and I'm struck with shock and fear as I see a creature maybe 8 to 9 feet tall, resembling a very skinny deer. It was standing next to a cherry tree on the side of my friend's driveway. It was bipedal and very skinny. The moon was out so I could see the creature clearly but not so much color and detail. The legs were bent backward like deer legs or like the back of a moose leg. It slouched a lot and I still couldn't see its face but it was in the leaves of the cherry tree which meant it must be 11 to 12 feet tall. I remember not being able to talk too much except for saying goodbye to my girlfriend. I don't know why, but I couldn't tell her to look behind her. Before I let go of her, I saw the creature move. It took off running toward the tree line. What absolutely baffled my mind was the speed of the creature. It looked impossible, as if it was blurry when it started running. I remember it looked right at me through the leaves even though I couldn't see its face, just the piercing eyes. It was the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. What was the worst thing about the experience was the emotions attached to seeing what I saw. I felt like my confidence and emotions were attacked. I have never felt the feeling of fear like this before, 
and I've been charged by full-grown bears. After my girlfriend got into her car, I stood in that very spot from where I hugged her until she left the driveway. I don't know if it was out of fear or making sure she left safely. I don't know what to do, so I slowly walked over to my car and got in. I called my friend multiple times and he was asleep and didn't answer. I looked out my window after several minutes and I looked to the left and saw my friend's cat Avery. I tried to think logically. If my friend's cat, which was probably something with better sense than I was, was out here, I'm probably overthinking things and it probably was safe. So I got out and stood next to Avery. Next thing I know, it sounds like there's a Clydesdale horse running through deep growth in the forest. Avery started running for the door and I sprinted faster than Avery could and got inside. For the next three hours, I sobbed and cried like I did when my dog died when I was 12. The fear I felt was indescribably powerful. I also remember it had long arms and when it ran, it used all of its limbs. Please, anybody let me know if this is a real creature. It gives me goosebumps to this day thinking about it, and writing this brought me to tears. Just thinking about this experience is so creepy.